0: Welcome to the ringer nba show i'm chris Vernon. joining me today from yahoo's the vertical is a surly chris mannix right as we are recording this we have just found out that ray john rondo is out indefinitely mannix was up all night writing 1500 words about ray john rondo that will they see the light of day mannix
1: well i mean the, the, the injury doesn't require surgery, so maybe he'll be back at some point during the, this postseason. But man, that is a that is a vicious kick in the teeth. <laughs> and I've had that happen before. You know, when I was at Sports Illustrated, you run the risk sometimes of guys getting hurt. I remember, you know, a Dwight Howard once I had a piece on that never ran because of injury. Uh, a few other players, but uh, not when it's not when it's literally minutes from publishing. Uh, when this uh, this dude comes out,
0: let me do the positive spin. We can do the Mannix lost articles, and you can have the one about Dwight Howard and the one about Ray John Rondo. Just keep them, and then years down the road, you can release them.
1: Yeah, you just got to like repurpose them at some point down the line, which which is fine. Like they'll all, they'll all get out. I mean, that's it's the price you pay sometimes in covering sports. Stuff like this happens, but it's the first time as like a, a strictly web writer, Chris, that um you know that, that that it's literally minutes away from publishing before this
2: news uh comes out
0: this is clearly monstrous news chris does it change do you think the rondo injury now changes the course of that series completely
1: well it, it changes it because he's been very successful and and you could tell watching and i was at the first two games in boston um uh, that you know, he, he's a he's a motivated player, you know, going up against this former team. I mean, he relishes this opportunity and he's probably playing better against Boston than he would against anybody else. Um, and, and certainly, it's a step back having to play Jerry and Grant or Michael Carter Williams or whoever they're gonna roll out there. That being said, Rondo wasn't killing Boston on the glass. Uh, Rondo wasn't shooting a lot of three pointers. That was the two the two things that haunted the uh, the Celtics in the first two games. Of uh of this series, and those are gonna be consistent problems uh, moving forward, so it certainly hurts the bulls, but uh, if they can keep doing what they've been doing on the glass, uh, you know they're gonna have they're
2: gonna have success once again.
0: Well, it's always what is the drop off to the next guy, and that's where it could hurt the most, right? because regardless of Rondo's performance, which he has been extremely good in the first two games, it's like, okay, what now? And I suppose. I suppose they'll roll with what, Carter Williams? It's the only choice. Uh,
1: I mean, Jerry and Grant, Jerry, I, I think, will we'll, yeah, we'll probably, probably get, the, I would guess, the start early on. But remember, they put Rajon Rondo back in the lineup, uh, you know, in, in the March range because those point guards weren't very effective. And, and they wanted to push the pace, and Rondo was the guy to do that. Rondo's had a great series, but he's had a very good uh, last month and a half with this team. He has been a big part of why they've been playing more up tempo that um, he's been facilitating like he had in Boston you know, several years ago. Um, he's been good, and I don't know that Grant or Carter Williams or anybody don't even dust off Cameron Payne at this point. I don't think any of those guys can, can fill that kind of void. So it's a loss. It's a body blow for this team. Um, uh, we'll see if they can slow this game down to a grind, and we'll see if Isaiah Thomas can take advantage of it. I mean, Rondo wasn't an elite defender, and is, is not an elite defender anymore, but he's probably better than what guys like Grant and Carter Williams uh, can give you during the game, so it it definitely changed the dynamic of the series, and it's an interesting uh, loss for them, uh, you know, happening so soon.
0: And you wonder how much Hoiberg will go with either of them, and maybe just end up with Dwayne Wade or, or one of the others just handling the ball because in that last game, which was the the big win for uh, Chicago in Game Two, I mean Grant played six minutes, and the very very elusive and shout out to uh, Mark Titus the. Very elusive 6000000000000 $6 trillion. Six minutes, literally not one stat, and a minus 14 in the six minutes. Michael Carter Williams played four minutes in the game. So th- those guys were not contributing at all in game number two. And, and in fact, well, no. I, mean, I guess negatively <laughs> contributing. So, I mean, you're moving to something radically different than what you've had going in the first couple of games if you're the Bulls.
1: Yeah, they, they they haven't been very good in getting much off the bench, but I, I think you're right. I think um, if those point guards, the, the leash will be very short on those point guards, and if they're not able to, to show they can be consistent, I think Chicago will go with some kind of hybrid lineup, play Wade and Butler in that backcourt together, uh, try to go big against Boston. Butler's proven uh, during this series that he can guard Isaiah Thomas. He has said publicly he wants to guard Isaiah Thomas, so I, I think they'll experiment a little bit, but you know, it does it does make things interesting, Chris, in, in in the sense that you know Boston looked dead in the water for two games, and again they still have the same problems on the glass that they had with or without Rajon Rondo. But uh, it does give them maybe a jolt of confidence going into this game three.
0: Also, massive Isaiah Thomas relief, wouldn't you agree? Because Thomas has been having to, you know, it's it's obviously been a problem. Um, but if you're not, I, I, I guess if you're Hoiberg. I really don't know what he's going to end up doing, but you know Isaiah Thomas, you know has hurt the Celtics defensively. Maybe he gets a little bit of a break now. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Rondo defended Thomas uh, for parts of the series, but when when the rubber met hit the, hit the road there in the fourth quarter it was Jimmy Butler. And his physical play that that was really was a problem for Thomas. They like to gang up on Isaiah. No, no, no. no. I mean on the defensive
0: end. I mean on the defensive end where Thomas has had to. Oh, I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sure. That's yeah. I think that's a that's a part of it. Um, You know, Rondo was great in transition. I mean, he was he was killing them there. Um, You know, every time that there was a long rebound, and we saw the first two games, Bills were killing them on the glass. Uh, Rondo would get out, and that's where he created a lot of his. His assist, he had 14 assists in game two, and a lot of that came out of transition opportunities. That's something that, that I'm not sure that Grant or Carter Williams can can fill the void there. And, yeah, I guess in that sense, it gives Boston and Isaiah a little bit of a break. All
0: right, setting aside the Rondo injury, what does Boston have to do to change this series anyway?
1: Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's not as simple as, as, okay, let's rebound better, because they don't have guys that can do it. Uh, this was a problem for them coming into this postseason. This is why people in Boston had some fear in their hearts over uh, you know, playing the Bulls or playing Miami because of the physicality. Even Detroit, if they had gotten in, because they couldn't match up with the size those teams could offer. It's why you saw toward the end of the Celtics regular season, Brad Stevens did a lot more experimenting than he might have uh, with Tyler Zeller, with big lineups, uh, and he was successful. Uh, with those groups, so I mean, it, the personnel isn't necessarily there, but I think Boston has to really supersize their lineup um, if, if they're going to uh, find ways to get back into this. They've got to go, I think, with Tyler Zeller uh, right out of the gate and hoping he hoping he can you know uh, mitigate the the Robin Lopez factor. If he can't, Chris, they got to try something radically different. I mean, maybe they go super small. I mean, we saw in the second quarter of the game in Game Two. When they went with that super small lineup, when they went with uh, you know, Terry Rogier on the floor, Marcus Smart playing on the floor, uh, a lineup that they've gone with at various times during the regular season, it was effective. The energy they got from those guys uh, really gave them a boost. If, if Tyler Zeller turns out to be ineffective, and Amir Johnson continues to be, uh, they might have to go radically different, go super small and see if they can force the Bulls to take Lopez out of the game.
0: We know with that Brooklyn pick, they're going to have a chance of getting a very high draft pick. Many of the best players in the draft, or at least the handful, are point guards. And I had talked to you earlier this year about the whole Isaiah Thomas situation. Do you think if they, got, if they were to get bounced in this first round, do you think that this series – do you think Isaiah Thomas's possible extension is dependent upon their success or failure in this series?
1: Uh, I think there's – I think it's possible. Um, You know, know, Boston likes Isaiah, but Boston also knows that their future is very cloudy. And and it's cloudy in a good way. I mean, they're a team that could have that first overall pick, and if they have that, uh, it could create some decisions they have to make. There are variables this summer that we can't account for. Um, Indiana, they bow out in four games, and Paul George decides he doesn't want that extension. um, The Pacers are going to have to aggressively explore – uh, trading him uh, before the you know before potentially losing him at the end of the year, and Boston was in the bidding for George at the trade deadline, and will be in the bidding again uh, come uh, you know come this summer. So there's just there's just a lot of stuff up in the air for Boston. But no question, if they if they bow out like this and and, and Isaiah uh, can't lead them to uh, you know past an eight seed Bulls team in this series, uh, that will reflect, I think, on him in the mind of Danny Ainge. Did
0: did anybody even know that Rondo was injured?
1: No, I mean, I'd, I'd like, you know, again, these details are sketchy, and I'd like yeah. to know exactly when it happened. Did it happen in a game? Did it happen in practice? I mean, they have had a couple of days off. Uh, we don't know exactly uh, when this injury came about, but, uh, you know, like we said, it's, it's a blow. It's a blow for the Bulls.
0: Yeah, because it's different. I mean, usually if it happens during the course of a game, um, during a course well, I of a game. I'll tell what, though,
1: Chris, like, he, he, he's the, I mean, He's the kind of guy. I remember when he tore his ACL? He played the entire game through it. If you remember that Atlanta game, you know, three or four years ago, he was. He thought he pulled a hamstring, and he played like, you know, I think it was extra twenty twenty-five minutes of that game with a torn ACL, and didn't realize he had a torn ACL. I think until like warmups of the next game. So he's a different kind of cat there. That that he he feels some a certain amount of pain, but. Uh, maybe doesn't describe it properly or or, or or feel the need to tell his team about it until it's really bothering him.
0: Yeah, he said he did it. it. It says, I'm reading the report here from the Bulls, it says he did it in the game. Huh. Yeah. Obviously yeah. that one.
1: I mean, he, he just plays through stuff. He plays through all of it. And, uh, you know, it took a couple of days, I guess, for them to figure out that it was broken.
0: All right, let's get to what happened last night. Cleveland was down 74 to 49 at halftime. 25 is the most uh any team has come uh if the, if the halftime deficit was 25, uh that's the most any team has come back from uh in the playoffs uh ever. And just uh, this historic LeBron game once again, 41, 13 and 12 for him. Uh Indiana, if they were going to get one, it looked like that was the one. It, I mean, that totally looked like the Cleveland's up 2-0, you know, their, their backs are, uh, you know, they're, they're resting easy and they just don't give a crap about this game. So I was rather impressed that they came out so furiously in the second half last night and went ahead and won that game because... It looked like that was just a whatever to them, and they cranked it up in that second half in Indiana. That is just a that is a miserable loss, Mannix.
1: Yeah, you know, from the Cavaliers' perspective, this is evidence that that whole flip the switch philosophy, when it comes to them offensively, it's actually accurate. I mean, this is a team that at any point in time can just decide they want to score twenty, twenty five points in a short period of time. And do it. I mean, the weapons they have there—they're built to score, not just in transition, but you get them in the half court, and they've got two guys, in LeBron and Kyrie Irving, that are as good in the half court as anybody in basketball. Throwing Kevin Love's shot making, and you know, this is this should not be surprising that they can do this, and I think they will be able to do this against anybody in the Eastern Conference playoff field. The the problem that continues to be. You know, they, they dig these holes, and their defense is just wholly unreliable. And, and it's great that they can do this in a first-round series, and, you know, it, it makes for a good storyline against Indiana. But nothing I've seen, Chris, during this series makes me believe that this this uh, Cavalier team is built to to succeed deep into the playoffs. I mean, you there's a reason they're the 21st-ranked defense in the NBA this season. They get gashed on a consistent basis, and they're getting gashed By an Indiana team that is so unimaginative offensively. I mean, you know, late game situation, half court, it's the Paul George show uh, out there. You know, if they're getting beat by this Pacer team, what's going to happen in the second round against Toronto or Milwaukee? What's going to happen in a conference finals? And and sure as hell, what's going to happen in 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 an NBA finals against the Golden State Warriors? I mean, this, you know, it's fun and it's great highlights and it's fun to talk about, but these defensive problems I keep seeing are very real and are very problematic for Tyron Lue.
0: And it feels like somebody that would be high-octane and have a little toughness on the inside would give them the biggest problem. It feels to me, just through the first couple of games of these playoffs, that if I was picking an opponent to attempt to knock off Cleveland, Washington would be the one so far.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Because you I are going to
0: have to score would, with them.
1: Right. I would caution, though, about giving up yet on Toronto. I mean, they looked awful last night I mean they I mean you're watching that game and you're thinking that they might be a house cleaning in Toronto at the end of the season but you know they've kind of pulled their fat out of the fire before uh in playoff series as recently as last year if they get through Milwaukee and find a way that's an interesting matchup because Toronto can defend Cleveland they've got versatile defenders at the one and the four and the four slash five uh with the they can score with them that that's that's a team that I'm telling you Even as bad as they look against Milwaukee, I don't think they'd look as bad against Cleveland. I think they're a better matchup for Cleveland, if that makes any sense, than they are right now for Milwaukee.
0: Milwaukee's just an impossible matchup for everybody. Let me get back to that one in a second. One more thing on Paul George, because you had mentioned him previously in in that teams will be uh, trying to go after him and offer him trades. I do wonder if last night's, you know, you hate to deal in, in such hyperbole, but honestly, if they take care of business last night, right, and you're Paul George, you're going, all right, they're up 2-1 in this series, okay? Or actually, no, I'm sorry, they're down 2-1. But if you're Paul George, you're going, if I took that last shot in game one, we're up 2-1. We're not that far off, right? Whereas last night, if you're driving away from that arena, you're like, F this, you know, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, over. it's it's seriously that – uh that final line because I do think you would you would feel that way if you're George, right, like we should be up to one, and so this team is not that far off from being able to compete with the best of the best, but then after you blow something that last like that last night, you would just have no confidence for the present or, or present or the future I wouldn't think
1: no and 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 he's kind of sounding like a guy that is building excuses for a breakup. I mean, he's been remarkably critical of his own teammates in this series, from Miles Turner to CJ Miles to Lance Stevenson. It doesn't seem like anybody is is, is outside of his, his, his shotgun range, if you will. Um, yeah, they, That that was interesting to me, just hearing him constantly talk about uh, his teammates and, and what they needed to do more, what they needed to do better. I mean, I guess some of that is leadership. Some of that is trying to spark a fire, but it was interesting how consistent he's been after losses, uh, criticizing uh, you know, everybody around him. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I mean that, that was my kind of takeaway. And if you're Paul George, and, you know, I, it's a lot of money to, to say no to, especially for a guy coming off such a grotesque injury. And the Pacers, Larry Bird, been very clear. He's going to make that five-year or uh, four-year max-level extension, whatever it is, uh, to Paul George at the end of the year. But Paul's been pretty consistent in other interviews when I've talked to him Um, His decision on Indiana, he's always said, is based on his belief about their ability to build a championship contender. He said if he thinks there's the pieces in place to build a sustainable championship contender, he's willing to stay there. Uh, I don't know how he can go into this offseason and think that this Pacer team is on that path. They certainly have some good pieces, Miles Turner being chief among them. But is there any part of you that, that looks at the Pacers and sees them on the same level of a young team as Milwaukee, as Boston, as some of these other teams that are poised to become the heirs to to Cleveland when when the time comes, I I just don't see it right now. Indiana, to me, is still a middle-of-the-pack type of team that is going to need something else significant to happen uh, for them to be a contender with Paul George.
0: It would be totally dependent upon your opinion on Miles Turner. And do you think he can end up being a big star or not? Because that would be the right. Like, I mean, if you if you think if you think, and if Paul George thinks for that matter, the Miles Turner that we're going to look up in a couple of years, and Turner is a is a big star in the NBA, then at least you feel like, all right, I've got that guy, I've got another piece with me. But again, that I I I know there are extremely differing opinions on Miles Turner whether he's going to be a really good player or if he's a guy that could make all star teams.
1: Yeah, I, I put him in the category of really good. Some more upside to, to kind of look at there, um, but for, again, it, you know, it, it, when Miles Turner you know kind of reaches that potential, uh, the rest of the roster might need some some overhauling. I mean, Jeff Teague. Right. I mean, how many years does he la- have left uh, playing at a high level? Uh, you know, the power forward position. Uh, uh, you know, I, but, but even though know, they they got a jolt from Lance Stevenson, but how reliable can he be uh, in the future? I mean, this team is 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 even with a a living up to his potential. Uh, uh, Miles Turner—they're several pieces away uh, from being a real contender, and for Paul George to to believe that they're going to become one would have to put a lot of faith in Larry Bird, his ability to draft high-level players, and you know, frankly, uh, uh, his ability to lure some free agents to in Indiana.
0: All right, let's get to that Milwaukee-Raptors game. Milwaukee stomped the Raptors last night. Just an unbelievable score to see flash up on the board, 104-77. to 77. And it feels like in all of these games, we are talking about some kind of NBA history happening, whether it was Russell Westbrook in the 51-point triple-double the other night, or it was Cleveland down 25 at halftime and coming back to win that game. And there was some dubious history made, Last night, uh DeRozan was 0 for 8 from the field. That was the worst ever 0 for for any player that scored 25 plus points per game during a regular season. I mean, that like it's it's literally never happened before. <laughs> I don't I don't get it, man. The 0 for 8 from the field. I mean, what what was going on with DeRozan?
1: I I don't know. And you know, you can look at at this series and the shocking part of it is just how badly um, the Raptors stars have played in these losses. I mean, Kyle Lowry, game one was awful. I mean, that was one of the worst postseason games I've seen Kyle Lowry play. And DeMar DeRozan uh, in game three—you know, a guy that's been re- incredibly reliable for them. You know, with Kyle Lowry out, it was DeRozan keeping this team afloat. Um, you know, for him to put up that kind of clunker in a postseason game. It's just not what you expect. Uh, you know, this team is, you know, this team's built for the playoffs. I mean, they can play a variety of different styles. They've got star power, which you need in the postseason. They can defend in a versatile way because of Ibaka. They've done none of those things. You know, they haven't gotten uh, uh, prime performances from their stars, they haven't defended. I mean, you know, that score in the first, the first half was just, I mean, it was, you know, bizarre watching like an. You know, a fifty to twenty number, eighty to fifty later in the game. I mean, this is a team that that should be able to defend at a high level. And in the aftermath of Lowry's injury and Serge Ibaka coming on board, they did defend at a high level. So to see them completely crumble on that end of the floor, and to see a player as reliable as DeRozan, um, you know, has been, you know, play that poorly is just—it's head scratching. Honestly, it really is. And I think you know, while we're criticizing Toronto, we have to look at what Milwaukee is doing defensively. I mean, this is another team that when Jabari Parker went down, I thought their season was over. I thought they were toast. Maybe they slip into the playoffs as the eighth seed, but no more than a four-game sweep or cannon fodder for whoever was number one. They have reinvented themselves as well as a defensive-minded team. I mean, look at the numbers for them. Their defense has been ratcheted up in the aftermath of, of, uh, of the Parker injury, and that's carried over to the postseason. So th- this is one of the strangest series that I've – That I've seen in the first round, with you know a Milwaukee team that shouldn't be controlling it in this way, having its way for a lot of the series,
0: and they are all—I mean, they are so close. They're two minutes away from being up three zip on a verge of sweeping. Like that—that game was tied with two minutes left to go. The game two, it wasn't like the Raptors came back in game two on their home court and stuck it to them. I mean, we're two minutes away from Milwaukee being with the chance to close it out in a game four. They posted the other night, when you're talking about how how defensively good they have been, they posted the other night during the course of the game uh, this graphic where it showed the wingspans of the players, the major rotation players for that team. And it was like, even with Brogdon and Tony Snell, these guys had like damn near seven-foot wingspans. And then the other ones like Giannis and uh and Maker, <laughs> they're like like eight foot wingspans. I was like, good. I mean, that has got to be when they put out some of their lineups. It's got to be as long a team as it ever has been assembled. Banana has to
1: be, has to be. I mean, they're you know the the especially Giannis and Maker. I mean, they're in that front court. They're ridiculous. And and, yeah. and Giannis, this this series, we could look back at, at Giannis's career. And look at this series as his coming out party because in the games that they've won, uh, this they have, I mean, they have been, been, been phenomenal. I mean, they have been really good. He has been really good in those matchups. Shooting when he's shooting a high percentage from three, he made both of his threes last night. But when he's shooting a high percentage from three, he's as unguardable as any player in the league because the only strategy for defending him with, an, with a four man is to back off and and, and avoid getting beat off the dribble forcing him into becoming a jump shooter.
2: Uh,
1: I I mean, if he's making threes, what else are you going to do? How are you going to defend him? This is a seven-footer with with point guard skills. And I'll tell you what, I was critical of the Thon Maker draft pick when it happened. I I didn't think that, that, uh, you know, I I thought he was a a decent prospect, but somebody more likely to be slotted in the 20s. They were smart there, too. I mean, this guy, you know, he he was the mixtape star, you know, coming up in, in the high school ranks. The seven-footer who shot like Kevin Garnett, I think that was what the video was when it first came out. He has, has, has become, uh, his development has happened so much more rapidly than anyone expected. And the core of this team, with Giannis and, and Thonmaker and Jabari, that's as good a young core as you're going to find in basketball.
0: Oh, if they had Jabari, they would be a very, very serious problem. Because they never really got the whole... We never got to see it come to fruition at the same time with Giannis, Jabari and Middleton, those three guys on the court at yeah. the same time. And if Hopefully they...
1: we get that soon. Hopefully that, that that Parker comes back and we get to see that soon because this Bucks team with Brogdon now too. I mean I mean you know, second round picks get laughed at by, by average fans sometimes and you know, teams that collect them, you know, you kinda of mock them to some degree, but this is why you have second round picks. Oh, to I get the likes Brogdon. of Malcolm Brogdon, to get the Draymond Greens. I mean, these, if you, second round picks are only useless if you treat them like that. If you take the time to identify guys like Brogdon, uh, you know, they obviously can be incredibly valuable. All
0: right. And let's talk about last night's nightcap. I was obviously there for the Grizzlies and the Spurs. Little backstory I took my beating from you on Tony Parker after games one yep. and two. Um you sent me some text wanting to talk about Tony Parker. I was very disinterested in engaging you in that conversation. <laughs> Yet last night, I was giddy uh, to talk about Tony Parker and his 0.0 assist game. Hey, you know what? It, it was weird last night. Obviously, the whole story is Zebo and the Grizzlies coming back and them responding after the Fisdale rant and whatever else. I I, I couldn't find this, but... I would be be surprised to find out if there was a time in the last decade where a a Spurs playoff game was played with both guys healthy that Parker and Ginobili both didn't score in the game because both of them threw up donuts in that box score and just a, a super odd circumstance. And the forum was a hornet's nest last night. And once the Grizzlies got going in that second half, Popovich just subbed out everybody, and and then you know it, it felt decided for a good portion of that second. Certainly by the middle of the yeah. third quarter, it felt like the hay was in the barn.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, um, your your condescension the last time we were on this podcast <laughs> towards Tony Parker was was palpable, my friend. You were you were scoffing at the suggestion that Tony Parker was the wild card uh, for the uh, for the Spurs. Uh, with this team. And look, I think the first three games of the season have made my point. Um, when Tony Parker plays really well, the Spurs are virtually unbeatable. Um, the question is, can he uh, sustain a uh, high level of play at his age? And given how how many miles are on his tires and, you know, him playing poorly last night wasn't the reason they lost. I mean, I, I thought Memphis was, was, was motivated from jump. And you're right. That game was over uh, well before the final buzzer. Uh, sounded, but uh, you know Tony Parker kind of sets the tone for this team. You know, the way they play him in the pick and roll, the way he plays in transition, when he gets it going early, uh, he makes this team so much more uh, versatile offensively. And you know, he was, you know look, he's he's not gonna have to shoot seventy percent from three like he did in the first two games of the series. But if he's given you fourteen to sixteen points and he's shooting in the fifty percent range from the floor, forty percent from three, the Spurs are a title contender. They are a legitimate title contender, um, and it's largely because of Parker.
0: Well, and you needed last night, for the Grizzlies' sake, and I said this going into the series, it it was going to have to be a circumstance where it was going to be Kawhi Leonard is clearly going to be the best player in this series, okay? The next three guys need to be Mike Conley, Marcus All, and Zach Randolph. And in the second half of Game 2, Fisdale started them together. He's had Zebo coming off the bench throughout the year. Um, but during the playoffs, you know, there's just too much attention on him. Whereas if he's playing with the other two, he can score on Aldridge, he can score on Powell, and he, he lights David Lee on fire. So I do wonder, you know, throughout the four games the teams played against each other during the season, that front court of Marcus and Zach Randolph was a big problem for the Spurs. Um, and so you have the second half of Game Two. You have last night where both of those guys were simultaneously awesome. And so I don't, I, I'm not sure that it's not going to be a, a long series. I'm not sure that the Grizzlies can't get another game from them. Uh, last night was obviously the the Game Three, first home game, all wrapped up in the emotion. Fizdale talked shit in the post game, blah blah blah. Mm. Um, but I do think like just basketball wise. They have found something that is giving the Spurs uh, quite a bit of problems, and it's that front court because the Spurs don't match up with it like they used to when they had a splitter or a bow bond or some kind of monster that Randolph couldn't shoot over. If if Zach and Mark can both be good at the same time, the Spurs are going to have their hands full going forward.
1: And that's the story of the Grizzlies, though, with everybody, right? I mean, yep. you know, it's changed this season uh, with Fizdale and the tweaks he's made to that lineup. But they live and die by the performance of Gasol and Randolph in that front court. And you're right. I mean, this is not. I mean, what's this like the third or fourth series in the last five years that these two teams have played against each other? I mean, they they are they're very familiar with um uh, you know with the way uh with with the way each other plays uh but uh, i mean i i'm not going to get too far ahead of myself based on a game 3 performance I mean historically in situations like this game 3 is where that that right. uh that home team gets uh you know gets that gets their bounce and 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 i don't know i mean they they played well and san antonio didn't and they san antonio decided to punt on the game basically no,
0: you know, right. a little I after halftime game 4 i, I is- just I, Game four is yeah, going to tell that's, Yeah,
1: that's where it's going to change. And, and But you know, just going back to Parker, I mean, you know, the reason I have I had so much, you know, optimism that he was going to be able to dial it up is just because I've seen so many times in the past where Greg Popovich has, you know, kind of kept his his older stars, you know, throttling right around neutral for most of the season. And when you get to the playoffs, he kind of, you know, lets them go and, and unleashes them a little bit. And when you see a different type of player, that's just what I saw and Parker, yeah, I don't know how many years he has left doing this, and I do believe San Antonio is is, is going to pursue other options this summer. Maybe it's going to be a Chris Paul uh, in free agency, but this might be the last year that that he has the skill set and and uh, the energy in him to dial it up. And those first two games showed me he does.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, the Spurs. Even you know, even if they can get a tough series out of the Grizzlies, I I don't think they're going to be in the West Finals, Chris. I don't. I think they are just so.
1: Well, d- I mean, you're I, you're you're giving Houston a lot of credit there, especially defensively. It's the second that's, guy that's, mm. to
0: count on. I do not trust their second options. I just don't. Kawhi, and like last night, Kawhi was not good. He was he had 16 in the first half, and I think he had two in the second mm-hmm. half. But they are so dependent upon his individual brilliance. It doesn't get brought up a lot like it is with Westbrook or like it is with, uh, with Harden. But I think when it comes playoff time, now during the regular season, they're extremely balanced. But during the playoffs, I do think that, like, who's the other guy that you really worry about going for 20 to 25 against you? And that answers Aldridge. And I've never trusted him. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah. That's I mean, thing. but it isn't but isn't like you know th- their fates tied to Kawhi Leonard? Can't you make that argument for for every team in the conference with one player? I mean, Houston, what are they if if James Harden throws up a clunker? And that's and I think Kawhi Leonard is just as likely, if not more, to be consistent in a game on both ends of the floor as James Harden is. I, I don't that's know. Fair. I that's fair. I, I I just think I I just think if you're talking. You know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but it, you know, I, the reason I think that the Spurs will be in the conference finals and will be a hellacious matchup for Golden State is because I have faith that Kawhi is going to have uh, far more good games like he had in games one and two than the bad ones he had in game three, and I'm, I am a little more optimistic that that LaMarcus Aldridge can be uh, a big factor uh, in this postseason. I am more more optimistic that he's going to be a consistent player. I've seen a lot of good good play from him, and I've seen a lot of good play from this kind of two-headed monster, they've got the center position, Dwayne Dedman and Pau Gasol. Now, neither one of these guys was was remotely effective in Game 3, but they've been very good, especially in this new kind of uh, dynamic with Dedman as a starter and Pau Gasol going up against second units coming off the bench. So I, I, I'm just I, I'm more of a believer, Chris, that, that consistency is going to come from San Antonio more than it's going to come from Houston, which is offensively completely reliant on what James Harden does in creating offense, and is nowhere near the type of team defensively the Spurs are.
0: That's fair. Uh, Last thing, Uh, do you think Celtics take game three? Obviously, we're doing this off the cuff because we heard the Rondo injury. I kind of thought the Celtics were going to bounce back and not go down 0-3 anyway, Um, but now with the Rondo injury, I would be shocked if Boston doesn't take care of them tonight.
1: Yeah, I would lean towards the Celtics taking Game Three uh, for a few reasons. Obviously, the Rondo injury is paramount. Um, you know, he was a nightmare uh, with the um, with the near triple double in Game Two. I mean, he he was was old Celtics Rajon Rondo in Game Two, just orchestrating the offense brilliantly. I also don't have a lot of faith that the Bulls, who have not been a very good three-pointing shoot, three-point shooting team all season. Are, uh, are going to be able to shoot close to 40% like they did in game two of this series. Now, uh, Robin Lopez remains the X factor. I mean, if Robin Lopez has an 18 and 12 type of game, uh, Boston's going to lose, you know, because he, he was, he was the reason that they were able to control the, the tempo of this game all throughout. It was his rebounds that led to those second chance opportunities, second chance, three point shots. And those those were body blows for the Celtics, but I think they'll be able to overcome that uh, in game three. Now, you know, this is a monster game for Al Horford. A monster game for Horford. I mean, he has to show up. I mean, i I've, I've been one of his staunchest defenders, Chris, over the uh, last year because, you know, when he would have one of those fifteen point seven rebound games, and people in Boston or elsewhere would jump all over him, I'd kind of point to his his basketball reference page and say, "Well, what did you think you were getting? This is this is what he is—a fifteen point seven rebound type of guy." But he was a complete no-show in game two. And you can't be the $113 million man, the number two option on this team, and be a no-show like that in playoff games. You can't. So this is, I think, kind of you know the last stand in some ways for Al Horford. He's got to go out and prove himself uh, in this one. Be physical. Be a second option. Be reliable from the perimeter. Take pressure off Isaiah Thomas. Uh, if he can do that, I think Boston's got a good chance to get back in
2: this series.
0: I'm seeing where uh, the beat writers now are reporting that Hoiberg says the Rondo injury is, quote, very difficult. Uh, Grant will start. Michael Carter Williams will back him up. Oi, oi, oy, oy.
1: Yeah, but like we said, I think they'll go. I think if those two guys struggle, and they did struggle in the regular season and they haven't been all that effective in the playoffs thus far, I think we'll see some experimenting there. I mean, Dwayne Wade looks comfortable bringing the ball up. Uh, Jimmy Butler uh, is eager for the challenge of taking on Isaiah Thomas uh, one-on-one. I think we'll see a lot of those two big guard backcourts in game three.
0: Yes, Chris Mannix from Yahoo's The Vertical. Chris, you're the man. Thanks, buddy.
1: Tony Parker, 20 points in game four. Calling it right now.
0: Holy crap. I can't wait to text you.
1: 20 points.
0: You think hey, you must think this is two thousand and five?
1: Well, no, no. Again, you condescending barbecue eating Memphis guy. This is a guy <laughs> that has had experience, and he's going to get the job done. Yeah, all
0: right. I'll uh, I'll be sure to uh, have my phone on or off. You you should
1: the because that your phone will be will be blowing up. If, t- if you have
0: that. T- depending upon Tony Parker's success or failure in game number four, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Manix. <laughs> You got it, man. All right, brother. We are going to catch up with Roger Sherman from TheRinger.com after these words. The NBA playoffs are here and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to your team's favorite games. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing like being in a stadium for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I've got SeatGeek on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They save you time and money by searching multiple tickets to compare prices and find amazing deals. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek's got plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available, too. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate on their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add Promo Code enter the promo code ringer NBA. SeatGeek will send you $20 once you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ringer NBA today. We're joined now by Roger Sherman from com. You can go read his article, Russell Westbrook is amazing or awful or both, a debate about his doomed and delirious game two. Of course, game three uh, is 8.30 central time between the Rockets and the Thunder tonight. What's up, Roger?
2: Hey, man, how's it going? Thanks for having me.
0: All right, so there have been a tremendous amount of debates about Russell Westbrook. It, it, unbelievably, the guy puts up a 51-point triple double and like it's a legitimate debate whether or not that's good for his team or not. Um you write about this, you take you write kind of about both sides of this. Where do you come down on it on Russell Westbrook and is the way he plays the best chance for the Thunder?
2: Well, they they don't have any better option, do they? Is the no. thing. You know you know, that it's it's not just that He's their best player. It's that when he leaves the game, as he did only twice uh, the other night, they just completely fall apart. <laughs> they were they were minus fifteen in six minutes. So that you're like you're giving up two points a minute <laughs> without Russell Westbrook. Um, there's there's nothing else they can do, and yet it it's not it's not doesn't seem like it's quite good enough. It doesn't seem like he all by himself can you know when with a game let alone a playoff series you know doing that for an entire game just shooting on almost every possession responsible for almost every basket by someone else is created by him it's just this unbelievable load and i don't think there's a better option i also don't think it's a viable way to win a playoff series
0: Right, and I would say, like I, I've been on the side of well, like what happened in that game too. There's no defending that, right? Like he, the guy took 18 shots. See how hard it is to take 18 shots in 12 minutes. Like there's a lot of guys that don't have 18 field goal attempts in a game this season, much less in a uh, in a fourth quarter. That and he took crap shot after crap shot. That being said, yeah. he's done that so many times throughout the year. And my argument was that they have had the level of success sheerly by his force of will and the fact that he's been able to pull that off um which he could many times during the regular season um but you know obviously heightened in the in the playoffs. He even talked about three guys guarding him, and you gotta what i think you you wrote in your article what is it like seven, the like the last seven minutes. He was three of fourteen from the field and had no assist. I mean, that's like impossible. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> it, I feel like he took the. I get that he's a ball hog, but that's like impossibly ball hoggy. Yeah,
2: I mean, he's a ball hog who averaged a triple double. Right you know, we call him a ball hog, but he. I mean, he has ten assists a game.
0: You know, yeah. if, he still if passes some <laughs> he, he still yeah. passes sometimes.
2: But in the, in the end of that game, he, he he forgot about that aspect of his, you know, he was doing it all himself. So it's this thing where they, they need him to, like, be the person who makes everything happen. And I, I think they are effective when he's in that, you know, triple-double-rest mindset and not the I need to score every single point on every single possession mindset because – I mean, they have some shooters. um, They have players who can score when passed to by him. Um, He didn't do that in, yeah, the last seven minutes. He did not have an assist, um, which is rare, even for him, who is termed as a ball hog. He normally does get a lot of assists because maybe it's just because he wants to get those ten assists, and once he gets those out of the way, he's uh, he's taken over. But he does he gets. He gets the ball to his teammates, but they they there's who would you say on the Thunder besides him is like the person most capable of creating a basket by themselves. Oladipo. is it Oladipo? Yeah, you know it's like there's yeah. there's so little there, and and they also haven't been given any opportunity to kind of develop in any way over the course of the season because it's it's just all rust, and it uh- works sometimes. It works a lot. It works like more than with any player that's ever been given that level of responsibility. I mean,
0: no, and I find it intensely. I find it intensely entertaining. But even I can concede: if you are being guarded by three guys, you should throw it to one of the other guys on your team.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Doug McDermott's there, just hanging out, right? Just waiting to shoot. That's all he's. That's all he's there for.
0: Yeah. No, and we had, and you see at the end of that game, what was what was even more bizarre was that was not an entire game deal. The first three quarters, he was by far the best player on that court and was getting people involved. And then he just turned into this different human being in the fourth quarter.
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they, they will not have been even close to in a position to win were it not for a superhuman effort by him, you know? Right. <laughs> they, they, they were in the game in the fourth quarter because he had a 51-point triple-double, which has never been done in the playoffs and it hadn't been done in 40 years before this year. Like, that that's thats not... That's, that's barely possible. People don't score 50 points in the playoffs. People don't score 50-point triple-doubles ever. It's like... And that's why they were there. And, yeah, it's just... It was just hard to watch those last seven minutes, man. It was just like, because there was nothing productive happening. It was like, you know, he he'd been so good and he was, it was like watching the end of like a depressing war movie or something when everyone's dying and he just couldn't get anything. It was, it was like everything was doomed that he was doing. It was hard to watch.
0: All the rest of his troops are—they're—they're they're all behind him, and they're gone. But he is now just one man <laughs> flailing a sword at a, an entire army.
2: Yeah, he's getting struck down by all the arrows, and <laughs> you're just like, ooh. <laughs> it, it, It's—it's, you know, he—he he looked a little tired too, because I mean, man, even he can't do that for 48 minutes.
0: So you have this whole thing, and I talked about it a lot yesterday going into the Game 3s last night, where the team that is up 2-0, their life is not on the line at all. If they lose, it's not that big of a deal. As long as they take care of business in Game 4, and then they can go and they can close out the series in Game 5. I think you saw some of that come out of the Spurs and Popovich last night, where it's, it's just hard psychologically to have that sense of real urgency when you're up two zero. whereas on the other hand, First home game for the other team, backs totally against the wall. Um, they know that it's a death knell if they lose game three. So, I, you know, much like I said yesterday, listen, I thought the Pacers were in a good spot yesterday, felt great about it at halftime, and then they suck. Um, the Grizzlies were in a good spot yesterday. I, I kind of feel that same way about, uh, about, about the Thunder tonight. Like, even if this is a series that Houston ends up taking care of business, if the Thunder are going to get a game, It'll be tonight in the game three. Don't you agree?
2: Yeah. the the It's sort of built into the the way playoff series work is the game three. Uh, yeah. You know, if it's going to be a 4-1 series, there are these, these home games here where it happens. Um, and, I mean, the, they were blown out in game one, but... It, it's not like it's impossible for them to win. They just need Russ to be like ten percent more superhuman than he regularly is. Um and he's done that from time to time throughout the year.
0: Alright, what is the amount uh, speaking of, what is the amount of points I could predict Russell Westbrook would score that you would scoff at?
2: Oh God. Um so he's he's already done fifty one, right? Right. He's gotta be higher than fifty one and he's still gotta is he still gotta get a triple double here? That's uh, the I, crazy thing about it. I will just assume
0: that there's. A, I, I will assume there's a triple double involved. But at what point, if I said I think, <laughs> I think Russell West, I think Russell Westbrook's going to score blank tonight? Would you go get the fuck out of here?
2: It's it's got to be somewhere like like up near sixty because <laughs> like I mean 60. he's he's made the fifty point triple double possible. Uh, like he's he's made it possible regularly. Um, I mean this was his fourth of the year. Uh, like uh, you know, probable. It's it, it's not like he's doing it every night, but he, there are few numbers that that sound ridiculous. And hey, if he decided to stop passing, he's he's going near seventy. He's he's pulling a Devin Booker and getting to seventy if he stops passing. That's I the new. If you hit seventy, it's a Devin Booker nowadays. I don't even well. know who Kobe is anymore. <laughs>
0: I hope that's what happens. I can't wait to watch it tonight. Uh, Go check out Roger Sherman's articles on TheRinger.com. He, in fact, wrote one today uh, about the eight reasons to get excited about the NFL schedule, also covering the NBA playoffs for The Ringer. Roger, you're the man. Thanks, brother.
2: Thanks, man. We'll talk about the NFL in like seven months.
0: Yeah, let's do that. Thanks for listening to another edition of the NBA Show. Uh, If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you on Tuesday.